Hi everyone, it's Brett the Petite Polymath. I've been reading a lot in our current pandemic time, so today we're going to be going over Wallace Stegner's Crossing to Safety. Okay, so, um, in all honesty, I read a book before this by Frances Mays, who wrote Under the Tuscan Sun, called Every Day in Tuscany, which was very much the best armchair travel um, I have indulged in in a really long time, probably because um, I've been missing Italy and I had plans to try to go back at the end of the year, which most likely will not be happening. Um, and so I just kind of buried myself in really, really beautifully decadent descriptions of Italian food and art and history and scenery, um, which I really enjoyed. But then I really didn't want to talk about that book. And so some friends of mine who live in New York, um, I lived there before I moved to Austin. And I'd gone back to visit. I think we had, we were at a dinner or something. And two of the guys were talking about Wallace Stegner. And I'd never heard of him. Um, so I kind of made a mental note. And then I ended up buying Crossing to Safety because it was recommended. I think uh, it actually was one of my friends. Hello, Ken. He listens to this podcast. Um, favorite books. So I bought it. I didn't get around to reading it because life got in the way. But in the setting of pandemic, I decided to go through my books and see what I hadn't read yet that I owned. And this came up. Um, so I started reading maybe Thursday or Friday. I finished it on Sunday just because I stopped myself from reading it all in one visit. Such a, a really, really beautiful novel with a lot of really interesting um, themes that I found kind of applicable to my life. Um, if anyone on here, well, people who are my friends, because I don't think any strangers listen to this podcast, um, who hadn't happened to be my friends on Facebook, uh, I had mentioned that this is the first Monday of May where there is no Met Ball um, and that I would explain how this was very fitting for my podcast today because of one of the themes of Crossing to Safety. So without further ado, let's get into it. So Crossing to Safety um, is about a pair, two pairs of married couples and their friendship throughout the years, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, the couples are Sid and Charity Lang and Larry and Sally Morgan, but we see the story from the perspective of Larry. So Larry and Sally are um, kind of your picture of a bit of the American dream, I would say. You know, working class parents, each of them um, who are, are orphaned pretty early um, and then have to kind of fend for themselves find love in a liberal arts college and then never look back. Um, Larry is an academic um, who is also a poet and um, ends up being a professor. Uh, he meets Sid and Charity Lang and Sid and Charity are the American dream realized over many generations. Um, they are wealthy. Um, you find out more about Sid's story which I don't want to spoil for you because it's worth reading, um, but they're kind of blue blood um, wasp from the New England states. Um, Larry and Sally are from west of the Mississippi, and they meet uh, in uh, Wisconsin, actually, University 
of Madison is where they meet um, during the Great Depression as young, um, I guess, kind of like beginning professors um, in the world of literature. And they're kind of, you know, unlikely friends, I guess you would say, because you would expect for them to be probably even more separated by their class. But for some reason, there's a kindred spirit there that bonds these two pairs together. And they are in it with each other for the rest of their lives. Um, I think some themes that stand out to me are, and I wrote down notes so that I wouldn't ramble as much this time, um, upward mobility and the idea of that, um, envy and competition and friendships, and how friendships can still manage to survive even when they seem unbalanced, uh, fortune or luck, however you want to call it, um, <laughs> the, the, the reality that no matter how much we seem to try to not be like our parents, Maybe we just can't help it. Um, and then this idea of domineering women and passive men. So uh, the book is split into, I think it's three parts. The first is the longest. The second's, you know, not as long. And the third's pretty short. Um, so you get to the beginning of their friendship. And then Larry's kind of musings of how he expects that Sid and Charity came to fall in love and be with each other. And then something happens that changes the course of their relationships independently, both Larry and Sally and Sid and Charity, and they end up living time apart. And so you get the second half about that. And then, of course, something brings them together. Nothing brings someone together like the end of, of a friend's life, right? And that's what the third part's about. So you start off at the end, and then it's kind of flashbacks. I wonder if they've ever made this into a film. I, don't, I didn't even look this up. Um, anyway. Uh, one thing that I also liked about this book, maybe because I'm on an Italy kick, is that they have a lot of Italian kind of sprinkled throughout and some really cool, you know, kind of stanzas from, from, from poetry um, scattered throughout the book as well, uh, which I will read one of them because it stood out to me. Uh, and I'm practicing Italian, so get ready. Considerate la vostra semenza, fatti non foste viver come bruti, ma per seguir virtute e canoscenza. Which means, consider your birthright. Think who you are. You are not made to live like brutes, but to pursue virtue and knowledge. Which is from Dante. For the record, I am trying to get... Um, as skilled as it possible in Italian, for many reasons, one of which is so that I can read uh, the Divine Comedy and not crucify it. But that's neither here nor there. So, upward mobility. This is tying into my um, reference about the uh, Met Ball. So Larry is, you know, is a working class guy. But something he says in the novel I think towards the end of the second piece of the book is that he's always been a social climber without really even knowing it. He just never felt that anything was above him or impossible. And to everyone else seeing him 
it didn't really, it seemed surprising that he made this life for himself. Um, in particular, you know, he's the son of a of car mechanic. So um, when he meets, I think it might be when he meets Charity's family, um, Charity's mother, who's a piece of work, uh, says to him, like, like, why didn't you just become a mechanic like your father? Like, you seem to have liked him and respected him as a person. So why didn't you just follow in his footsteps? But Larry always had goals of something higher, and he always knew he could be something more. And that resonated with me personally as, you know, I mean, there are things that I've just always wanted in life or wanted to be privy to or attain. Ambition seems like the wrong term because I'm, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if I'm like wily enough to be very ambitious, but I have all these goals that, um, that people might wonder, well, where'd that come from? Because it doesn't really seem to match where I come from. And so that idea of thinking that anything could be possible and then just putting your nose to the grindstone and one day looking up and going, I can't believe I'm here, I totally understand what that is like. And I've never really come across a character for whom that made a lot of sense to me. And I kind of saw myself in them in that way uh, until I met Larry. Um, envy and friendships. So you have a couple that has everything materially, it seems. They've got nothing, you know, they have wealth, they don't have to work. They only work for their own, um, you know, need to do something or to, to look a certain way, but it's definitely not for survival, right? And then you have a couple who is living hand to mouth for a large portion of this of this novel and, and you are always worried that the next thing, you know, like the next shoe's going to drop and they're going to lose everything. How do people maintain friendship when one pair seems to have it all and the other one is struggling? And then there's, there's this line, right? Like friends can do so much to help, but then you don't want to be in this weird power play of like owing everything to your friends. But then if you have, you want to make sure your friends are okay. And if they don't have, you want to give. But you don't want there to be resentment or uh, obligation um, or something attached to it. Like it just seems that when there's uh, dependence, it can get messy. And they seem to balance that really well. um, Because it seems that while one of the pairs has a lot of financial security and one doesn't, another one, the other pair seems to have a lot of assuredness or confidence or talent that maybe that other pair didn't have. And so what seems uneven is only uneven on the surface because there are strengths and weaknesses in both pairs and they actually need each other. Um, And I think that's something that stood out to me is that friendships can happen in situations where people don't seem like they're equal on the scales. But when people see themselves or are seen for all of the myriad ways they're a person, the things that are lovely and the things that are really obnoxious and annoying or infuriating, that's friendship, that you stay with people even when you see that stuff. And like, you really could just walk away. 
And I think what's neat is that you can walk away for a time. Like there's times where in this novel, even these friends' relationships kind of grow a little cold, not because like some big blow up happened or, or someone tried to hurt someone intentionally, um, but just because there was room that needed to give people the, the space to be, um, to be better, to, to mourn or grieve a loss, um, to do some work. And once again, in, in my personal life, I think, I can have these really lofty ideas of what friendship is supposed to be, um, but not make a lot of room for the human, uh, when I make a word up maybe, but I think it is real, fallibility, um, that people are going to disappoint you and sometimes hurt you um, if they care about you, hopefully not intentionally. And that when you sign up to be a friend, you, you can persist through that uh, and come out on the other side even more deeply connected to someone, even though you know that they've got their warts just as much as you might. Um, domineering women and passive men. So charity is a piece of work. Uh, I will say that Sally's almost like you can tell a man wrote this because Sally's almost too good to be true. Larry's wife, um, like she's just too saintly. I don't know if this would be just because he wanted to put all that weight on on charity, or if charity is Sally's foil. Um, I, I, I needed Sally to have a little bit. I needed her to have some flaws because she really doesn't have any, and and is too long suffering. Like I don't think someone like her really exists. Um, but Charity, she, I mean, you almost want to punch her in the face sometimes. I know I did. Um, she's so strong-willed. She is stubborn to a fault. She is very lacking in compassion for the people that are closest to her, but pours out herself for other people. Um, I, I, I often like just flinched with the way that she treated her husband. Like he just needed a little bit of kindness from her of all people. She is who needed to give it to him. And she just would withhold it at times. And I don't know if it was because she was afraid of the feelings that she had, that if she did that, she'd just fall apart. Um, but she was just too much at times. Something I thought was very um, fascinating, however, is that Larry, you know, of course, he's our narrator, is super, super honest about his frustrations with charity, um, as well as, like, the, the roving eye that kind of did come up at times, you know. It doesn't sound like anyone really, like, stepped out of their marriages, but there were lulls in people's relationships where I think you entertain the idea of, of another life or somebody else, and, um, and yet uh, they stuck together. And I think that that is very beautiful, and I think the portrayal of the routine and the drudgery and the highs and the lows of friendship and marriage and family life were done really well. Um, 
I think the last thing I want to talk about is fortune and just how um, life is so unpredictable and you can be at the top of the world and then something can happen, you know. There was the Depression and there was World War II all of a sudden. Um, and there are things that happen in this novel where you're just like, seriously? I mean, can these people not catch a break? And so um, I think that the, the perspective of living with what you are handed with the largest amount of grace as possible is all that one can do. I think also using the talents you're given and leaning into the things that bring you joy and finding people who are going to help support you in that is very important. And I will leave you with this thought uh, from, from Sally when they're in Florence. Youth hasn't got anything to do with chronological age. It's times of hope and happiness. And I think that is exactly true. You know, I see patients every day who have got 60 years on me. And they tell me, you know, well, I don't feel 90. I feel like I'm 50, depending on what day it is. And I think that when you can address life with expectation and joy, when you can find pleasure in small things and um, learn to be grateful and persist through the mundane and hold your head up high um, when times are rough, that you will find that youth does not disappear on you even when you get some wrinkles and some gray hair or you lose your hair or you get a bit of a belly, any of those things. So I recommend Crossing to Safety. I think that you will enjoy it. Stegner's writing is also very beautifully descriptive. Like you feel like you were in all the places and I really could have read more of the lives of the Langs and the Morgans, maybe their children or their children's children. I'm excited to read um, more books by him down the line. So um, before I go, things that I have been enjoying. Um, so my brother and I have been watching Unorthodox. I think I mentioned it on one of the podcasts. But then um, I segued into uh, this series on YouTube called The Chosen, which I think is vying to or raising money for maybe another season. But it is eight episodes for free on YouTube right now. And you can ignore the beginning and the end where the guy's like waxing um, preachy. But it's um, about the life of Jesus um, during his ministry with um, the people who are called along the way. And it is such a neat portrayal um, of uh, the, the times um, of Israel during um, Roman occupation and just really beautiful and non-cheesy and a very, a very fully human perspective of what biblical characters might have been like, um, which I really, really have been enjoying. I have one more episode to go and I've decided I'm going to wait to watch it tomorrow and not binge at all. So um, I hope you all are staying safe and well during this pandemic. I hope that we are able to get a little semblance of normality in the, in the future. 
Um, thanks. The Petite Polymath is a podcast from Britstone. I hope you enjoyed. Have a good week, everyone.